Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm Kenny Holmes. He is... I'm Robert Kraft, and I just listened to our intro and thought, we have to change it. That's to say, inside the homes and studios of the most celebrated composers and co-hosts. And rock stars. Oh, man, and rock stars, because we got one this week. A genuine... We got, we got three. We have three uh, rock right. star turned composer guests. It's a double guest show, but there's three composers, so it's a triple guest show. We're loaded. We're loaded. It, this is Score the Podcast. I'm Kenny Holmes, and uh, this is presented by Spitfire Audio, of course. And uh, what we're talking about is uh, our double header here. We have uh, Danny Bensey and Sonder Urians, who are just on fire. I mean, if you're watching anything on your streaming services or TV, you've probably seen their names or at least heard their music. Uh, they do the music for Ozark, uh, the HBO show Outsider last year, which was fantastic if you didn't see that. Um, they have a couple of upcoming documentaries about Wolfgang Puck and Jacques Cousteau, and then... Um, the uh white tiger white which was tiger a super which, cool movie that movie kicks ass i didn't yeah. even know that movie existed i don't know Nobody how it, i missed it and worth, i went back and watched 90 it. minutes yeah they're they're all over the place um and they they came from uh, a band they were in a band together and their story is incredible and they're on fire and we're so excited to have them and then something crazy happened we get this email about a month ago from an old friend of Robert Kraft, who just happens to be Serge Tonkian, the uh, front man for System of a Down. He's an incredible artist of so many different types of art. I mean, he's a, he got into painting recently. He fell in love with the orchestra. He went solo uh, aside from System of a Down and started doing his own solo records with uh, using the orchestra. Now he's film composing and has been, but he's really, he's, he's jumping on the scene now. He's working on a couple of projects that we don't know what they are yet. They're under wraps, but he's, he's going to blow up in film music. And uh, we wanted to introduce you to Serge if you haven't had a chance to hear an interview with him. Uh, just an incredible guy. And he's a fan of the show. He emailed and said he loves listening and he's drawing inspiration from, uh, fellow composers on the show and we thought why don't we get him on uh and he he said yeah so such a cool moment for us um by the way say good morning to uh composer carol hey carol good morning it's good a morning. it's an exciting day we're i'm pumped i'm pumped you guys i don't know about you but i have been a fan of system of a down since their first album uh yeah high school kenny went out and bought the album and was just, I mean, it changed my musical world. I was very much a hip hop guy, and System made me totally fall in love with a different genre of music. Uh, System and Rage Against the Machine did that for me, um, getting into the alternative and rock and and all of that stuff. And I just, ever since then, was a huge fan. So to know that Surge is a fan of our show after all these years is just such a cool moment for us. I I may be making your year, Kenny. He just made me realize. Maybe we get Tom Morello to Dude, come on. Don't as play well. with my emotions. <laughs> this has been a roller coaster. I'll reach um, out and see if Tom wants to, you know, hey, man, Kenny's like 
Dude, sorry to bother you, Kenny. Really is he scoring? Play. He scores some stuff. Well, he certainly he? played on a lot of. I don't know if he's written a score yet, but he certainly played on a number of film soundtracks. I know that he does a lot of that. So we'll see. Well, we're going to get to those interviews in just a bit. But of course, as always, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Spitfire Audio, maker of orchestral sample libraries for film composers. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, Spitfire has so many sounds you will love. They, they actually release a free Labs sound, and they have a whole series. Every month, they release a new library. You can get an entire orchestra for free in the form of their BBC Symphony Orchestra Discover Edition. Yeah, if you haven't done that yet, go do that. Get the Lab Series. Um, and then the, they have so many different packages. In fact, today at the end of the show, as always, we're going to play you a cue, a demo cue of uh, one of the packages. Th- uh, this week's package is the Olafur Arnold's Stratus Package. Now, this package is a groundbreaking innovation made in collaboration with the BAFTA-winning artist Olafur Arnold's, made up of stunningly intricate piano performances and synthesizers triggered by what you play. Man, is that that is some high tech stuff? No longer do you have to sit actually, you know, with a guitar on your knee at the end of your bed and think about what to play. Just get a Spitfire package and and you can trigger it. And as always, the best part of that deal is score Tell the us. podcast listeners save twenty five percent off wow. their first purchase of any Spitfire audio product. With promo code, can we say it together? Score 2021. Which is this year. It's not 2020 anymore, baby. We're, we're moving forward. We're God, 2021 is half forward. over. It's Halfway almost, through. It's almost done. Yeah, so listen for that demo cue at the end of the show today. And uh, again, use that promo code SCORE2021 to save 25% off your first purchase from Spitfire Audio. So... I think because we're so jam-packed here, let's just get right to it. Uh, enjoy this interview with Serge Tonkian. Serge, I'm, I'm Kenny. Thank you for coming on the show, hey, Kenny. Man. This is really exciting. Thanks, man. I've been enjoying your show. Hi, Carol. Hi. Um, Great to yeah, meet you. Yeah, I've been really loving it. Like I, I, I hit up Robert uh, like a month or, or so ago, and I'm like, I just discovered it. I didn't know it was around, and I just realized you've been putting on shows for two thousand since 2018, so... On my daily walks, drives, everything, it's you guys now. Wow. That's so awesome. And then uh, I told Kenny and Carol, you won't believe who just wrote me, who's been listening to the show, and their response in big caps was, oh, God, get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. How could we not? <laughs> That's man? awesome. I mean, I, well, I feel Thank like we should guys. just get started and we can have a discussion here. But um, uh, joining us now... He's a Grammy-winning songwriter, frontman for System of a Down. He's also a rising star in the film-composing world. We're so thrilled to have Serge Tonkian joining the show today. Serge, thank you for coming on Score the Podcast. How you doing? Thank you, Kenny. I'm doing well. Thanks, brother. Yeah, just busy, running around. Busy is good, and Serge, always great to see you. Great um, to see you too, Robert. We've known each other for Yeah, tell us, tell us how minute. you guys met. I think, Serge, would you tell us? Because I'm not sure I remember correctly because it's, I, I don't know if it's when I was in the audience watching you thinking, oh, I got to meet this guy or where did we meet? We met, 
I mean, I could be wrong. We may have met before then, but uh, for sure, we met in your office at Fox with uh, your all your music department people who I knew. In 2000, I want to say it was 2008, I had just put out Elected Dead Symphony. and uh, No, sorry, Elected Dead, the record, and just started working with Warner at the time and walked into your office because obviously I've been interested in composing for film for a long time and have been doing it now for a little bit. Um, so I walk in and you're like, hey, so so welcoming. And we sit down, you know, we, we have a great chat. And I remember playing you a few tracks. Of course, I didn't really have the kind of uh, cinematic suite that I kind of have developed over the, the number of years. At the time, they were mostly just really interesting kind of, you know, sound cues of, of varying degrees. And I remember you picked one. It was a really strange dog, you know, like it was a really interesting one. And you're like, you, you, you literally listen to it and you go, oh, I love that. That's the future of film music. And I was like, oh, man. The future of film music's pretty fucked up then. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder I wonder if I was right or way I, off I it was, or a combination. But oddly, in 2008, you playing me tracks that, you know, well, weren't necessarily sound like film music or were kind of odd, kind of did become the future of film music. Everybody yeah. started to... I mean, I would see it because I was sitting in that chair where there were so many film scores coming past me. I saw them changing from being about the movie exactly to being kind of vibey. And I think what I got from your music was, this is a vibe and for the right film. And then I heard it. I mean, I watched I Am Not Alone and thought, yeah, Serge is, first of all, grown enormously in just how to score a film, but man, that's beautiful yeah. music. Beautiful scoring on that film. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. That Is means a lot coming from you. It was orchestra and electronics? Uh, it was in-the-box orchestra and electronics. Um, yeah. But yeah, there was uh, there were, I think we did a few, from what I remember, a few ch uh, soloists on top, but, um, you know, documentary, kind of budget documentary score, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's it was... It was it was interesting because it was that film um, about the 2018 Velvet Peaceful Revolution in Armenia was something that I also helped bring together. Um, so I not only composed it, but I helped produce it, executive produced it and helped, you know, fund it and put together. And so it was a really joy uh, kind of labor of love and inspired by, you know, the um, the events. And what's interesting, and I think you'll appreciate this, Robert, is that you know, I always thought I'm really bad at writing happy music because to me, writing dark and broody music is quite easy. It comes naturally. And for some reason, that became kind of like I was so inspired by what had happened and the transformation, the progressive democratic transformation and seeing what was happening and the energy of the youth there. And it made me write happier type of kind of moving kind of music, which, which, triumphant which I, in mm -hmm. some ways, triumphant in some ways. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. interesting, yeah. Well, it was great. Go ahead. I, I saw that you were involved in the filmmaking and also a movie star. You're on screen. Ah. So <laughs> uh, the whole future there. But I great, so. great project. I was inspired. Thanks, Robert. I'm sure we have plenty of uh, listeners who, who know System of a Down. And one of the things we like to do on the show is kind of go through your musical evolution um, 
as as Surge, not just System of a Down, but when I first heard the song Sugar, Sugar! on your on your self-titled album, the first album, I think it came out in 98, that was like, the, I was at the time I was a hip-hop kid, and I didn't really listen to the rock stations, and I heard that song, and it blew my head off, because there's... It, it's a perfect. It's like the demo reel of what System of a Down is. It has a little bit of everything that you do stylistically. But I'm wondering where that came from. Were you musical growing up? Because um, I, I heard an interview that said that you had no aspirations of becoming a rock star. So, what what was your upbringing and and what inspired your sound of System of a Down? First off, so thanks you thank you for the question, Kenny. That it's really interesting. My kind of um my road toward music was very unique. I didn't start like most of my, you know, band members in System of a Down at the age of seven or eight and playing music and knowing that that would be my destiny my whole life. I really didn't have a lot of, I didn't gravitate toward music as a young kid. And my parents even bought me a guitar, said, do you want piano lessons? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm too busy with my studies, that kind of thing. And it's in university. I went to Cal State Northridge um, studying marketing that's when i picked up a small casio keyboard and started playing around as a meditative gesture as a way of kind of just escaping it all and it really kind of helped and then i got a really nice keyboard and started you know that was my first instrument picked up guitar and all of that and still years later after i graduated university it took me a few years to admit to myself that music was my destiny um we made a film called truth Mm -hmm. to power um uh, with live nation productions and it kind of shows that kind of uh road of of how i went from you know not knowing that this was my destiny to admitting that this was and it's it was it was a beautiful kind of uh awakening an epiphany i had to i always say i had to go to the far reaches of who i don't want to be to admit to myself who i am um so you know beautiful (laughs) it's beautiful that's a little bit like michelangelo saying i have to take away all the things in the block of marble that are not the david to find out what the David is inside. I love that, Serge. That's so beautiful self-aware. Thank which you. Which great musicians are. Yeah, so I, so I had I want to know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go. So I had this epiphany, and uh, and I'm like, shit, you know, music is my life. This is what I need to do. And and from that day forward, I dove in, you know, uh, deeply. And and, uh, and that was before, obviously, you know, System of Down and how that sound developed with system is very interesting because we have four unique characters in the band mm. all pulling and you know pushing this uh unique uh kind of experience apart in different directions and and it's those amalgamation or diversity of those directions that make the interesting sound of the band and were you a singer as a kid um uh, my dad sung he's got a beautiful voice and so i'd sing with him and stuff but i wasn't you know i i guess i did sing I did, uh, they, they would, uh, they would write me up and I would sing in the church. So I would sing, you know, as a choir, as a small boys choir. Um, I had a great voice, but I, I got tired of doing that. And then I, one day I remember telling the, the priest, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was really upset. And he said, mm-hmm. in our age, we would be embarrassed to tell the priest that we don't want I'm like, well, that was your age, wasn't it? <laughs> um, you know, so I was also rebellious, you know, um, but but I never, you know, I, it's, it's interesting that I really didn't take music seriously. And I was, you know, I graduated university. I went to work with my uncle in the jewelry business for years. I had, I had, you know, I knew how to do that. And I was, I've been in the shoe business. I started my own software company. At one point I was like, 
you know, maybe I should be a lawyer. So I signed up for law school. Well, not law school, but the LSAT exams. And I was going, driving down from downtown LA to Long Beach to take these Kaplan classes to learn how to take the LSAT. And that was it. That was the trigger going way too far into what I shouldn't be. And you see all these people, young people excited to become lawyers. And I fucking hated lawyers at the time. (laughs) Because my parents were going through a horrific lawsuit and I was dealing with all of that. I was dealing with lawyers and it just, that became the epiphany that I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I, I got to do music. This is, this is the only way I could save my life. That's, did you do a U-turn on like the five freeway? I mean, or an emotional <laughs> U-turn kind of. No, but I skid. It was, it was a rainy night. It was very dramatic. It was a rainy night. It was like late at night after these Kaplan classes in Long Beach driving home. I was on Laurel Canyon going up the hill and I had a Jeep Wrangler at the time and I skid. I literally stopped. I banged my fucking, you know, steering wheel. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking do music. I'm going to fucking like, I just literally screamed. And that was it. And that, that changed my life. Some people don't have as dramatic of a realization, but that's, that's the real deal right there. Yeah. Or as dramatic of a result, yeah. because you, a lot of people may be in Laurel Canyon at this very moment, banging the steering wheel and saying, <laughs> I'm going to fucking do music, but not all of them then go out and create a worldwide sensation. So you were destined to have that moment. And then thank God you did, because, you know, so many people have responded to and been influenced by you. Yeah. So thank you, Robert. Yeah. That was a great revelation. Indeed. I think I was always interested in your uh, progression as a musician and also moving into film music. I always thought that was such a natural step for you or a natural inclusion in your yeah, so in your efforts. The, the um, opportunity to work with an orchestra came in. I was on tour um, with my backup band doing my first solo album, Elect the Dead. And I, I remember I was in Seattle and I got an email from a friend in New Zealand, uh, Bo Ranga, uh, who's an artist herself. And she said, eh, I've got an interesting proposition for you. The head, uh, the, the, the head of marketing for the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra wants to do something with you, um, a project, a show, something, you know. Mm. And I remember just going, OK, I'll deal with this later, <laughs> running to a show, you know, sound check. And I remember the tour ended a few weeks after I was sitting on the couch on a beautiful sunny day in LA and I looked at the email and this excitement poured over me and I'm like I gotta do this I don't know what I'm about to do but I gotta do this so I started basically um and the way was I stripped the songs down back to piano or acoustic guitars and started writing very easy kind of minimalistic string and some brass arrangements they got a, a wonderful uh co-composer for me to work with John Sathis who's still a friend and we still collaborate and he works a lot with, he's in New Zealand, and he works a lot with orchestras there. And so I worked with him the first time around, and we did this show in 2009 at the Auckland Town Hall with the New Ze- uh, with the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra. And we made a CD-DVD that we released on Warner at the time. And it, it, it really changed, again, my musical vision. It made me fall in love with the orchestra. It made me fall in love more with film music. I mean, I was already listening to film music, but it made me really kind of go in that direction um and then i started using more orchestral scores on my own solo records and 
you know, I was already come to think of it. I was doing string arrangements and some orchestral arrangements for System of a Down records, although they're so buried underneath the guitars that you don't hear them. But we actually brought in live, um, small, you know, uh, amount of players for definitely Toxicity. Starting with Toxicity, yeah. we did it with um, uh, Steal This Album is is a part of that because it was the same sessions, and then also with uh, Mesmerize Hypnotize as well. Yeah. Do you think like 10, 15 years ago, you pictured yourself actually like jumping in full head of steam to, to film composing, or was it just an idea that you wanted to dabble in? Because I, I heard another interview, you, you mentioned that you like to change up, like, you know, you started painting for a while and you, you're, you're switching your, the, the art that you're, you're tackling. But is, was this like a full vision, like you were envisioning your switching gears into film composing, or is it just something you wanted to dabble in? No, bro. I, it's something that I definitely want to wanted to uh, pivot toward, and it more than ten years. In fact, I just realized I was hanging out with Jay Ferris, Robert. You know Jay, um, mm -hmm. Lionsgate before that, Baby New Music, and uh, now he's doing wellness. He's in the wellness world, and I remembered in two thousand six he had uh, he had introduced me to William Friedkin for a film called Bug with Ashley Judd and Harry Connick Jr. and uh, and Michael Shannon. And it was like this dark comedy kind of thing. And he's like, uh, Billy Friedkin wants to meet you. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> you know, like, you know, that was my first like little break. And, and I did some character compositions for, for the nice. film. And so that was my first time uh, kind of really vibing and feeling it. And, uh, you know, and then it wasn't until later that I did my first full film, um, and, uh, which was 90, a film called 1915 by uh director Gary Hovannisian yeah. who is the yep. same director as I am not alone interestingly enough um it's yeah. about April 24th yeah it's about the yeah. uh it's it's actually a kind of like an art house film about the denial of the Armenian genocide done in a really yeah. artsy kind of way um so that was my first full film that I did and that was that was that 2012 2015 we talk Whatever a lot about the crossover of Rockstar going to, you know, Danny Elfman, Trent Reznor. Mm -hmm. What's it like for you to jump into a new space where your existing space, you're at the top of the game, everyone knows that you're going to come up with something great, and then you come into film composing and you have all of these people telling you their ideas and you're used to your ideas. Um, right. How do, you ch how do you tackle that? Is that a weird world for you to jump into or did you adapt to it pretty easily? Not at all. I mean, you know, I still have my world of releases and, you know, I just put out um, a, an, uh, an EP called Elasticity of rock songs um, along with Truth to Power. And I've got nine releases slated for this year of my own music from cinematic to poetry to, you know, um, soundtracks to live live recordings of band on tour and that kind of stuff. So um, I, I have the a lot of space to exercise my own you know, muse, right? Um, so I find working within limitations to be extremely creative and and uh, inspiring because it's mm -hmm. kind of like it's kind of like telling someone, you know, as 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 an artist when you're doing your own stuff, you're everything's open. You could do whatever the hell you want, but that also means you can use anything you want. What instrumentation do I use? Play around with it and and do all this stuff. Whereas if you tell me. You're going to write a whole film on this small Yamaha keyboard or just using this bottle, 
right? Nice. I'm like, fuck, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be exciting because that limitation makes you more creative. And for me, I'm the type of artist that has always wanted to make diverse type of records, you know, mm. each one completely different. Well, I got my, that's my dream come true with film music because each director wants a completely different type of music. Um, each film you, requires you just a articulated what I love about film music. People say, this sounds like movie music. You know, I hear that all the time and I want to say, what is uh, that? <laughs> movie music? What is, you know, that could be a polka. Yeah. It could be a bluegrass song. It could be a orchestral piece. Movie music is everything. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. But I think your style and organic sensibility is so suited to movie music. That's what I've felt. Thanks, was, oh, definitely. Right now, dude. Yeah. No, you're, I'm, you're, I'm you're, a, what, you're what they're looking for, I tell you. <laughs> we know, you. Uh, was it two seasons ago, we had Bear McCreary on, and we had a full discussion mm -hmm. about you. I don't know if you've heard that episode. We were talking about I System did. of a Down, and then freaking Bear, like six days later, releases a single with you for Godzilla, and he, didn't, he couldn't say anything on the show, and we were like, right. oh, we had no idea, but you came up organically. What's your connection with Bear McCreary? How did you guys meet and uh, collaborate on that? Uh, we met through a, an agent friend uh, that I was, you know, I've been kind of meeting different agents over the years and as you do in the business uh, for film scoring. And and he represented Bear and introduced us. Bear, uh, I, I liked his music and Bear also was a system fan. So we connected and became friends. Bear's half Armenian actually as well. So we share ethnicity as well. And so we kind of hit it off. And so, you know, we're, we're always like hanging out and you know, having, having dinner, having lunch. And, and one day he calls me, he's like, I got a crazy idea, you know? And I'm like, okay, let's hear it. You know? And he's like, they've never allowed, the band is never a blue oyster called never allowed, uh, any film to use the song, uh, Godzilla for any of the Godzilla. But I think if we do a cover, the studio is going to love it. The director is going to love it. And I think the, the band's gonna, you know, you want to just play around with it with me. I'm like, sure. Too easy. Let's do it. You know? Mm -hmm. Wait, so you, um, did you guys do it before you had permission? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's that. a gamble. I love it. Yeah, he pitched it, basically. Yeah, we did a demo. He pitched it. They loved it. Um, band went for it, luckily, and, and it worked oh, out. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I really love that moment you just described, which is when Bear called you to say, I have a great idea, because we all know there are moments in our lives when you're driving, you're making coffee, you're doing you know anything and you go oh wait a minute you know what would be cool i'm gonna call you know you have that moment you, i wonder what it was that made him think i'm calling surge i have this idea if i put together the blue oyster cult thing and surge yeah. it might work and so yeah there's no. something wonderful about that and it all worked out i wasn't driving or having coffee i was in a kid's park robert and they were getting wet it was <laughs> summertime and and i was on the yeah. grass the phone rings i'm like there hey what's going on bro he's like what are you doing i'm like i'm at perfect. a kid's birthday party with water everywhere what are you doing so yeah perfect. It, it's cool and it's cool to experiment you know it's good to try things Isn't and work great? with different people and collaborate it's fun yeah. do you draw inspiration differently with film music to writing your system music or your solo uh stuff Absolutely. I mean, look, with film music, uh, you want to understand the vision of the director more than anything else. You want to have him articulate what it is or her uh, articulate what it is they're looking for. And the more you define that, help them define that. 
um, the, the easier it's going to be for, for both parties. Um, and I like when I, you know, before picture, I like kind of developing a few thematic concepts, a suite of thematic concepts, so that I can see if I'm in the ballpark after a conversation with, you know, yeah. the creatives to know that, okay, is this what you're looking for? Because you said you really like cello and you like, you know, and you want the sound to be like this. Is this the vibe that you're, you know, or am I off? Because once you narrow down the tone of the film, you're halfway there. I mean, you know, maybe not halfway there, but you, you kind of, that's the tough part, right? Understanding what that tone is going to be. And then once you lock that in, tempo map and get it in and get the visuals prior to final cut after final cut whatever all of that is always changing with every film and all of that so um but it's that establishment it's that original conversation uh with the director or the creative in some case producers um to really really understand what is the sound of this film what is this film trying to say what are the emotional impacts it's trying to convey i don't think we could have articulated like that could. any better of what a film composer that's so does. funny we're having the same thought it's like we could edit what you just said and and make it a trailer for the podcast saying, <laughs> if you want to be a film composer here is exactly what you need to know you need to get the tone of the film you need to find out the emotional heartbeat all the other stuff can be figured out but once you do it um it just kind of nailed it i i never understood there were certain composers, and it was very much a an L.A. word that I learned, because not everybody used it, but I'd be with composers at the beginning of a movie, and they'd say, it wasn't tone, they said tune. If I can find the right tune mm. for this movie, mm. everything will flow. And I thought, that's such a simple, almost simplistic word. And what they were saying was tone of a certain melodic sense that if it's slowed down or it's sped up or it's done minor or done major, mm -hmm. that kernel of musical information opens the door to the film. But I think what you're saying is actually very contemporary, which is it's no longer just the melody. It's the tone. Mm -hmm. It's what's the vibe, because directors don't like you telling the audience, here's how to feel. They want a vibe that sits back a little so true serge you're in the sweet spot right now <laughs> oh i i wanted to ask you about this because we we talk about licensing and and different stuff but secret life of pets your song bounce gets used with this you know prissy dog who is the, the, the family leaves and the song comes on and she starts headbanging and that song is a part of the soundtrack that has an Alexander Desplat score. I'm just wondering, are you involved? When do they call you and say we want to use this? How, how does your music end up in a big movie like that? Are you do you have any say in that? Of course, um, but yeah, I mean it's it's mostly through publishers, and you know they they reach out to your representatives and they bring you the opportunity. And I, I, as soon as we saw that, we were like, absolutely, like you know. <laughs> You know, secret. <laughs> they sent us the clip too, and we were all, you know, on the floor, dying, going, "This is perfect." Because they, they, you know, they found something that was so over the top for the scene that it really kind of pushed it. You know, made oh, it, it was the trailer, man. It elevated the scene. You know, so yeah, that, that was. Oh, that it was, was a, the trailer. That's right, as well. Yeah, it was a big mm. push. That I thought, and of course, Despla is incredible. I love, I love his films. You know, I mean, the first uh, 
score of his that I heard was "Girl, a Girl with the Pearl Earring," and I fell in love with that score. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, no, it's very, very cool. Do you have a dream project or a, a director or a type of film that you'd like to score? Um, I'd like to work. I with just want to. I just want to say that a lot of directors are listening right now. So. <laughs> I'd like to work with a lot of different varied directors. Um, you know, I've worked with, uh, you know, uh, some directors that do narrative. I've worked with, uh, incredible documentary directors. I just, I love incredible stories that influence me. You know, um, there are many, I'm, I'm not going to name them cause there's so many of them I'd like to work with. Um, you know, because, you know, I, th I think each project teaches you something different as an artist. And it uh, allows you to exercise what you do, your artistry within that realm in a unique fashion. And I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to doing that. Like I've done one big kind of bombastic uh, action score. You know, it was for Central Partnership, the biggest Russian uh, kind of uh, studio, you know, um, with a mm -hmm. film called Furious, the Legend of Kolobra, which was just total hits. And, you know, the Mongols mm -hmm. attacking the Russian enclaves at the time, 12th century, Baku Khan you know Badukan, and uh it was it was awesome it was awesome getting into the kind of ethnic flavoring of both the mongolian and russian side coupling it up with a modern orchestral score hiring a live orchestra mm -hmm. having rock instruments integrated in a way that's done interestingly and not just kind of buried but like alive um it was it was fun it was really fun doing that i i love you know but I also love doing very simplistic, minimalistic music for documentaries where you know that you're going to kind of be in the background and, you know, the, uh, but, and you just want to kind of give the right mood, attention, uh, flavor, elevate as much as you can, um, as much as you, they want you to, um, working with yeah. Joe Berlinger on a number of films. He's, you know, he's made nice. a bunch of films from Metallica, some kind of monster to mm. the Paradise Lost series and, working with him on a new um, documentary series now for a large streaming uh, company that I can't name confidentially. And, uh, cool. and some other, yeah. And some other, and six some days other. from now. <laughs> I know. I was going to say the collaboration with bear and <laughs> surge part two featuring bear. <laughs> right, right, right. Featuring bear. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, fantastic. Cool. Cool. Um, and yeah. uh, of course I have to ask, it's been 16 years. Is there ever any thought to, to another system album? I know you guys have done a couple singles for, for different things, but. Yeah, we put out two songs last year, Protect the Land and Genocidal Humanoids. We, we were we were all kind of stunned by the um, attacks on September 27 of the combined forces of Azerbaijan and Turkey on the Armenian enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh. And so there was a lot of disinformation, a lot of uh, humanitarian catastrophe, a lot of deaths. And so the band basically banded together after 15, 16 years of not making music. And we put out those two songs because it was something that was not about us. It was about, you know, justice. It was about telling the truth. Mm -hmm. It was about raising funds. We raised over $700,000 for humanitarian aid in Armenia. Um, Amazing. Donated ourselves separately as well, obviously. But, you know, it was, it was a huge thing for us. And I'm really proud of that moment that we were able to kind of stand up together when it was necessary. Um, as for the future of the band, look, you know, we, over the years, we just haven't been uh, seeing eye to eye creatively and philosophically as far as what the future of that band is. I think once we do, and, and there is a chance that that might happen, then we will 
galvanize and 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 make more music um one thing i do have to say is that kind of i think holds us back is my reluctance to tour um you know over the years uh both based on physical health issues like back problems and stuff like that along with honestly having a family wanting to be around more and my love for composing for the picture the combination of all those three have made me a bad bandwidler, i guess <laughs> So well, the good thing about film music, it all out there. The, the good thing about film music yeah. is the film goes on tour and you stay at home, so you yeah, can exactly. put your movie out and then wa- let everyone go see it without uh, you having to leave the family. Exactly. And I think you've just officially crossed the Rubicon into being a complete film composer because film composers, so many of them, say exactly the same, which is, "Wait a minute, I could play." 260 dates a night and be exhausted and miss my family and live out of a suitcase or let me get this straight i could sit in my home studio (laughs) and uh do three films a year um it's a big moment for a number of people that play in bands funny enough robert it's like people you know coming from my touring you know rock world into composing for film a lot of the composers i've met and i have a lot of friends that are composers ramin jawadi is a good friend of mine and he did the whole game of thrones you know tour and i met a lot of people that that you've already interviewed on your show over the years and they all want to do what i've done and i want to do what they're doing so that's the funniest i'm like and they're like wow you toured with because i've done like you know besides system besides my backup band i've done 24 or 25 live orchestral shows around the world with different orchestras around the world which has been incredible and they're like that's what i want to do and i'm like well i want to sit here on this chair and you you can go and i'll (laughs) i'll just sit here you know it's like so there's so human it is it is the other side of the fence we want want exactly what's on the other side of the hill yeah and when we get on the other side of the hill we look back longingly to say you know shoot that was kind of cool the nice thing about what you're doing the kind of thing that is in all of us envy is you're getting a life where you're getting to do all of it exactly. you know you you've had the experience of touring you've had the experience of making hit you've done it you've had the experience of scoring films like check 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 mm-hmm. these are good things and and it just means that more more good things are ahead serge that's what's thank so you cool. robert yeah well, years ago always, i also did a sorry oh i was just gonna say years it's just it's admirable for uh, when creators don't stop when it gets easier when you're at the top it's let's let's start something different and try try to master this other thing and that hunger is what drives the best creators i think is just to keep it i think so too it's the diversity of that creativity and you know years ago i did a musical uh in 2011 Mm -hmm. i did a musical called prometheus bound with steven Sater, who had done spring awakening years back whoa and remember i just remembered that you're right steven Sater, who i've known since he worked with duncan sheik that's right a thousand years ago that's right and uh so we did this beautiful um uh, you know, musical called Prometheus Bound based on the Greek tragedy um, directed by Diane Paulus and the American Repertory Theater at Harvard. We were in the Oberon Theater for a while. It was it was a really cool, really incredible learning experience, you know. And uh, yeah, so I think, look, you have to do it all. I think you learn from each experience and it, it puts you in a different place. And, you know, I'm I'm very thankful because I've you know, I'm financially stable enough to do whatever I want to do. I don't think about what the, what that is going to be, you know? Um, 
So, you know, I mean, I can, you know, I, I take on projects where I'm working on a film for months at a time. I could make that in half an hour on stage, you know, like, but I'm, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, that's not, you know, you want, I'm lucky enough to, to know that I creatively, whatever in, you know, uh, excites me in the morning is what I should be doing. And that's what I go for, whether it's painting or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And there's something I'm not sure, unless it was a very special thing seeing right now, uh, you know, at this point in your life with family and, and your career going, it's sort of, do you have to go on tour to support yourself? And if not, isn't it wonderful to have the option to explore the things? I think yeah. that's a really wonderful opportunity, and God bless you for Thanks, Robert. for taking it. And- Years ago, I started, um, my, my kind of interest in composing to picture was so large that I wanted to have i wanted to paint music in other words i wanted to see what my music looked like so i started doing these musically composed paintings i have over 60 musically composed paintings and i do exhibitions and you walk in we have a uh an app app that uh for your smartphone that does optical recognition recognizes the painting and starts playing the music to it so each person is able to kind of enjoy this kind of multiple um uh, angled musical experience, uh, uh, artistic experience, I should say. Um, th- that's fun too. Cause that, you know, when you look at a painting, you know, of course it's not a moving picture, but it can be, if you really look into it, you know, and the music can help you help it move, you know? Um, so all of these things to me are, are one kind of tapestry of creative life. You know, it doesn't really matter what I'm working on, what genre it is, or, what project it is, whether it's TV, film, or a painting, or 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 writing a song, you know, or or doing a collaboration, it's it all just fits in. It's it's just one, you the know, gears are turning. One day. <laughs> well, Serge, turning. we yeah. we can't thank you enough for coming on the show, and the fact that you listen to the show is just so awesome to me. I, I couldn't Thanks, believe that Robert said that. So I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan been a fan of yours yeah, for thank you decades guys. so uh we we really appreciate well, we're looking it. forward to hearing your next work thank you brother. whether it's a painting or a musical or a movie or a, i will invite or a you concert. guys i will invite or, you guys. oh i'd love it um serge really a treat to reconnect uh i recommend to the audience to go not only of course listen to these records but i thought i am not alone was so important to see and should be shown in America today, 24 hours a day, because there's a lot there about what a velvet, nonviolent group of people can achieve. That's all I'll say. I recommend the movie. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's coming out all. in September, which is great. Oh, um, great. So I thought it was just so good. Thank and you. music was so good. Serge, peace. Thanks, brother. Great seeing you, man. And same, really great. Kenny and Carol. Is that your leaf blower going on in the background there? <laughs> I, I, I was, I'm trying, as you can hear, I'm trying to move Robert's it along because rush. we do live in LA. Robert's writing a, neighbor- a new score, and this is just some of the yes. creative outside of the box thinking we're doing here. I wish I could tell you, but the neighbor, I think, what day is it? Tuesday? Yeah, it's leaf day, it's leaf day. Right next door, and you can hear it. So Let's leave it alone. Oh, that's it. it Now, Serge Tonkian, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Much love. Thank you, guys. That was pretty sweet, guys. 
Surgical strike, baby. Surgical strike. Uh, and uh, as you guys know, uh, Elva, my wife, is that's her favorite band. She lost her mind knowing that he was on the screen in our house. Um, so that that just what a cool time. And I will say too, I didn't even know about this that the Elect the Dead Symphony album. Um, so Serge went solo. He has his album Elect the Dead, but he that project he was talking about that he did in New Zealand in Auckland. Go listen to that. It's not like System of a Down. It's beautiful and his yeah i mean his writing for orchestra is it's amazing i mean i remember when i first heard uh metallica snm it, it it's just like a game changer and he did a very similar thing but if you pit up the elect the dead album next to the symphony it's it's like completely different the metallica ones you can you can pick out the songs and know that it's you know still metallica but it, it sounds like a completely different genre. And then with Serge's voice in there, oh, it's, it's fantastic. Go listen to Elect the Dead Symphony. It's on all the streaming services. And they released it on vinyl. Mine's on the way. I can't wait to get it. <laughs> um, but we are going to take a break. And then we have another interview with two more rock stars, Sonder Urians and Danny Bensey, uh, composers of Ozark, which has a final season coming at some point. Maybe we can get the date out of them. Are you excited? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I I'm on the edge. I, I, uh, no, no. I, I'm just thinking about Julia Garner and wondering what mischief she's up to in this season. Marty Bird. I, I love her so much. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break, and we have those guys coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back. Have you guys um, made a more score Turbo Bentley yet with, like, score the podcast? On one it's, side. it's part of our merch that we're developing because that i would be it's a really high tier yeah but it's it's going to be there giant yeah you uh, contribute three hundred fifty thousand dollars to month. more score on patreon we will put our score logo on the steering wheel of your new bentley so that you could look at it yeah <laughs> uh i feel like we're rolling right into a read for more score Another read for more score. Uh, what is more score? It's our Patreon show. Um, you can basically go see all of these other interviews that we're starting to uh, collect and do these chats with different composers and people from other fields. I'm really excited. I think we have some interesting stuff in the works um, that will be out by the time anyone is hearing this. Uh, so that's exciting. And uh, we have these really interesting guests uh, talking about the way that they make the music that we all love. It's stuff that doesn't fit into score the podcast. Um, and if it, it would be weird if it, if we crammed in a two and a half hour episode, I'm sure some people would love it, but it takes a lot of our time. And that's where Patreon comes in. It allows us to go out and spend the extra time to produce these things um, and do so with the support of our patrons who one can help support that financially. You know, even the software and the equipment takes, uh, there's some money that has to, has to pay for things, but it also gives the ability for a lot of our patrons to interact with us tell us the things that they want to hear about people that they're interested in talking to and um and and just be able to engage with us in our group on our our patreon page patreon.com slash more score uh kenny what's your uh, favorite stuff that we've done on patreon so oh far? you guys are gonna dig the cobra kai conversation and if you're like me and you've seen every episode 
the, first off, I think it was the most passion I've ever heard a composer talk about a show they've worked on. These guys love the everything about the show, and they're perfect composers for the show. Um, so that that conversation was really fun. Uh, Fernando uh, Arroyo Lascarain, his his discussion about uh, playing in the orchestra on the stage on the sound stages. I found that so interesting because we've had so many conversations about composers uh, and, you know, with composers, but to hear the perspective of a violin player who's sitting in that room, who's one of those elite members of that uh, orchestra, super, super interesting, just all the different things. Like there was one discussion we had where he talked about what happens if something is impossible to play. And I've always wondered that. What if the composer writes something that's too fast and they're, they're not a violinist and they don't know that that's not possible? And like that, that strings group has to figure something out to make it work and fast because, the, you know, time is money in those situations. So I don't know. There's, there's hours and hours of content already available and we have a lot more coming up. I know Robert has a couple of things on the books uh, with some other avenues of filmmaking regarding sound that I really can't wait to hear uh, your conversations, Robert. So I, I don't want to tease too much in that, but um, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, on well, the way. it's going to be, it's part of the 360 degree view of the entire world of film music. We're not only going to. The score working, cinematic universe. Right. With the, the people that write the music, but there's a whole support structure that's really interesting to share and to introduce our fabulous audience to how those scores make it all the way from the pencil to the screen. I think I just wrote the title of my autobiography, <laughs> Robert Kraft, From the Pencil to the Screen. It's important to note about... You better get to that. work, Robert. you got to get writing. I was, I was just going to say, it's important to know about more score, too, that this is going to be something that's year-round, so when our season of Score the Podcast ends... We see everybody's comments. When are you guys coming back? When is the next season? Well, that's never going to happen again if you're a part of More Score. We're going to have episodes for you all throughout the year. And um, we, we're also taking suggestions. You can message the inbox. And if you have someone you think we should talk to or a type of uh, you know different craft of filmmaking that you want to get a little insight on, um, we can do it. So it's it's very that interactive. Might be another good title. It's, it's a lot of fun. The craft of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, this is a way for us to, to make a year-round season. There's no commercials. It's not a sponsored show. So the way we're able to do it and, and the time we spend on it is uh, from your support as a patron of the show. So that's kind of the backstory of it. And uh, we hope you join and uh, give us your ideas as well because it's a lot of fun. And, uh, again, year-round, can't beat it. There you have it. More score. It's patreon.com slash more score or download the Patreon app. Super easy on your phone. You just create an account there and search for more score and we will see you guys there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Oh, hey, it's Benjamin Valfish. Uh, you're listening to Score the Podcast. Back to the show. 
Welcome back to Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm very excited about our guests today, um, and we don't have very many tandem guests on our show. It's, it's, it's a rarity for, for a lot of these composer duos nowadays, but these guys are absolutely crushing it. Sonder Jurians and Danny Benson, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. Am I saying your name right? The J is actually pronounced like a Y, Urians. But Urians. I always let okay. I always pe- let people go with the Jurians because it's so complicated. But we might as well oh, just go for him since correct them since we're there. <laughs> I want to know what it's like to be an overnight sensation after twenty years in the trenches. Because <laughs> I mean, I feel like there was a period in this last year. Of course, all of us sat home on our couches and watched everything. Where there was a moment. I was thinking, wait a minute, that's the same pair of guys that just scored the thing I saw last night, and that's the same pair of guys <laughs> that score, and I thought, who, what? They've just blown up. Here I've been doing this for a minute, and you just showed up, whether it was Ozark as the key or whether it just, you know, the wheel spins and it comes around, and then, of course, I realized that we did something together. 10 years ago oh. and that's where i said i was waiting for you to say oh yeah man you don't remember but what does it feel like i, I love the idea <laughs> in show business that it takes 20 years to be an overnight sensation it's a frank zappa quote but has it felt to you like there's some momentum that is new that's weird because i've i don't really feel like that i mean we've been doing what we do for the past 10 years um and then before that it was mostly performance stuff in a band um but the film stuff has just been rolling and you know ozark started a few years ago and it's i think maybe it's because so many people suddenly watched so much tv last year Mm. (laughs) and found our names everywhere um but i think you know the emmy nomination um was definitely a big a big boost for us um and just the success of Ozark really culminated in this third season, I think. I mean, people just like really flocked to it. Um, yeah. It was so good. But there's such a, what's really interesting, and there's so much I'd like to know, is I was looking last night just at some of the variety, and mm. I, I'm having a little trouble finding a through line from Ozark, you know, drug dealers in the mountains, to White Tiger, Hustler in the Slums of Mumbai or wherever that is, Chennai, and Tina, you know, British-American rock-pop icon. And I wonder, because directors sometimes say, I want somebody who did something like this. It's sort of, well, I'm going to do Tina Turner. Let's get the guys who did Ozark. I mean, what is the math (laughs) on that? Or how do you find yourselves doing such a fluid fluid variety of music Danny you want to thank take you that good one? chat listen um <laughs> <laughs> we'll is there call any on you line? Line? like elementary school <laughs> Danny go ahead and take this one it's <laughs> actually the dream of all composers that they get to write for various things right I mean we talk about yeah that. I, I- I think that was going to be my first thing to say is that I think all composers, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to live in the thriller Ozark world. It sounds like if that's all you compose, like that's all we like listen to. <laughs> that's all we're interested in, mm. which is not the case at all. Um, 
we, I think sometimes like with it, with a film like Tina, like documentary, I think maybe we're trying to force a hand, maybe like a card, like, like to do this sort of impressionist uh, piano cello thing for, for some of it. Um, it's like classically inspired impressionist music and like, like there's probably 20 good styles of music that could could have fit for tina but maybe we push that one a little bit because we have an affinity towards that kind of music we're always sort of trying to write it and see where we can put it and i think composers kind of do that in in a certain you know to do what you know well or what everyone experiment with and then try to put that into a project mm -hmm. um so you can see it flourish and see how it works um but i think we're no different than other composers than that we just we've just had the 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 opportunity to try different styles. Um, I think we just were speaking with Dave Franco, um, who we did uh, The Rental with, and he's doing a new film, um, which is gonna be completely different. And he's like, I wanna see what you guys do with this genre that that you wouldn't think Danny and Sonder would normally do. And we were like, thank you very much. That's exactly what we would love to hear and love to try to do. What a gift. And what could be more? Yeah, it's a real, also, it's a real gift. We got quite lucky very early in our like film composing careers in that we did, you know, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene and, and, um, enemy and stuff very early, but not just that we did the Amish, which was a PBS documentary and a bunch of other documentaries kind of right at the same time that were all, you know, like, so we had this kind of thriller, weird, avant-garde aspect to our music but then we we really were able to kind of you know explore our more kind of emotive you know i don't want to say straightforward but like you know like a little bit more traditional side of, of film scoring so we kind of started with that branch the, the that documentary stuff was maybe not as as heard by people but we had it under our belt we had it in our library so we were able to kind of use it throughout you know these past it's 10 unique years to, to have that it's usually so much the opposite you know you, you're 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 hired because you do action movies and then right. after you know i we were talking about it last night just the composers that do action movies and all they want is a little kind of searchlight intimate drama and you think well you're having this huge career <laughs> um but i think it's so interesting i also think geographically i was thinking about how ozark could have been deliverance and White Tiger could have been A.R. Raman. And, and you took those scores, you know, instead of just saying, Here, here's the obvious ethnic components of the music. I really like that you sort of show what film music can do. And it's just, it's so creative. Uh, and I know it comes from your love of Iron Maiden, which we read about. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you find yeah, let's that? Let's get That's into amazing. your let's get into your backstory a little bit because we're always fascinated by the composer duo aspect where I'm sure both of you guys could easily go solo and and crush it. But there's there's something that keeps you guys together and and it started early. Um you guys were in a band together, but what what drew you guys together initially for our audience who who hasn't read your your bios and everything? Uh how did you guys connect and and at what point did it get into film music? Um, well, we met in uh, 1998, 
right, Danny? Yeah, nineteen ninety-eight. At RISD, something like that. at RISD, yeah, I was at RISD. I, I mean, I, I I did a year there, and then I dropped out to play in a band. My my um, freshman roommate turned out to be Danny's best friend from high school, middle school in Europe. Um, and so Danny and Danny was living in Boston. So Danny would come down and visit us and hang out with us. And um, we just very quickly, I mean, we were both musicians, obviously. And he, we both just hit it off right away. We liked the same music. We grew up with the same music. Um, we were into the same things at that time, you know, like we're really into Radiohead and stuff like that kind of um we just like the kind of more progressive kind of stuff and and um and then Danny would come and sit in with the band I was playing in and just from there we just kept playing you know and we did little weird projects together up and through the early 2000s and then we started the band in New York we both moved to New York at the same time in 2000 around 2000 were you writing together at that point yeah yeah writing we songs writing. for priest bird uh yeah, it was it was first called Tarantula and then That's right. Tarantula AD and then Priestburg because we had a a big legal battle with a guy who had the the trademark to Tarantula the Tarantula. I wanted to tell you I I own the tra- the Tarantula. Ah, it's uh, you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're coming. No, that's you, interesting Kenny. though. I mean, you just think of it a, a cool band name and then Oh my god, don't even The idea of being like, well, hey, what if we make it big? We got to change the name cuz We could do a whole podcast on that subject. It's a total nightmare. Band names Good are topic. a total nightmare. <laughs> Same with websites. Can I ask, just because I like to envision it, where were you in yeah. Manhattan, Brooklyn? Where did you move to? I was in Brooklyn. Danny was in Manhattan. Where in Manhattan? Uh, at the beginning there, uh, I was living with uh, um, my best friend from middle school, and we were actually down in Tribeca, um, not, not far away from the World Trade Center. Uh, yeah. And I moved there on September 1st of 2000. And one. No way. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. That was rough. Very rough. And Um, did you have a space that the two of you could play? Did you have a rehearsal space? Yeah, I lived in a big loft, like two-floor loft in in Bushwick, which is now would be priced out of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We had like 2,000 square feet, and I think we were paying like $1,700 a month, which is like crazy. (laughs) So at this time, were you guys was was film music on your radar? You are you are chasing a rock star dream. You guys had a band. The album, by the way, I listened to some Priestbird. It's rocking, <laughs> and you can you can definitely hear the inspirations of some of your scores in there. A lot of that percussion stuff. Yeah. Um. But when at, like if we can fast forward a little bit, what drew you to film music? Were you paying attention to it at all? Or did somebody just say, hey, you're musicians. Can you help me out with a project? Because we see that a lot with uh, musicians. I definitely always had like a interest in the film music, but I don't think it was much more than another, say, composer or whatever. I was in it throughout the 80s and the 90s. I remember sitting down at the piano and trying to figure out the music from the piano and trying to figure out <laughs> last of the mohicans uh and i remember stuff like i was like and and there's actually a, a common thread which i'll try to that kind of music that sort of deeper kind of very heartfelt uh, music uh, and these certain chords that i was sort of picking out on the piano I was trying to figure them out and then american beauty came along in early 2000, 2000, 2000 I think. And I remember being watched, going to the movie theater, watching it, be like, man, that music is so 
awesome. Like it seems so simple. And I went home to the piano and was like coming up, like just, I can, I can kind of, I sort of know what it is, but I don't mm. remember the melody, but I kind of know, wow, film music is so great. And then being like, okay, but people do that and study film music and get into that career. And we're not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm a cellist and doing other stuff. And, and I was never, I was like, that's a whole world for other people. And, um, but, and then uh, you mentioned Iron Maiden before, which Sondra and I agreed on. And I was asked listening to Iron Maiden the other day in the car and being like, this music is so ridiculous. But I was like, why, what is it about it? It's this like epic, it's it's beyond us. There's stories of like Alexander the Great and things like that. And poems like the rhyme of the ancient mar <laughs> mariner put to music. Now, when you're a boy or in your high school and you're just kind of like thinking, you know, he's thinking an epic kind of huge, like it, that was just spoke to me. And I think mm. it spoke to Sondra. And we still kind of think that way. We're trying to make music that makes you feel and feel like a, a, a not like there's another world somewhere. And it's like a longing for it and an epicness. And I think, I think kind of, that's kind of our voice. I think whenever we can in film scoring is like kind of, we're kind of looking for that. Like what Iron makes Maiden. you feel, yeah, <laughs> Iron Maiden to, has it. The Iron Maiden of film music. Yeah. I think what's interesting is you're saying that, you know, you're att attracted to kind of epic and narrative storytelling, whether it's Iron Maiden. I also want to go out on a limb and think American Beauty set a little bit of a benchmark because Tom Newman is the expert at this for not telling the epic narrative mm. information you know he i always like to say that he sat at the very back of the auditorium sort of providing a little bit of an ambience for the action but he wouldn't be manipulative yeah so it, yeah. If, do you find yourself where on the spectrum of i'm going to tell you how to feel audience oh we definitely yeah which no no we we definitely would err in the more minimal side of that i mean mm, all I of our films so. have ridden that but i think it's you know what danny's saying is that it's the the story aspect of it that interests us but then our actual approach when we go into to make music for a film is one of restraint um because i mean it's it's just more interesting to to us to let the the film speak as much as it should be speaking and not have the music be kind of taking over that voice um but yeah, I would say we 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 always err towards restraint. But would you say restraint in terms of musical approach or restraint in terms of spotting or both? Both. Both. Yeah, and especially orchestration. Like, it's so cool. So I mean, you know, yeah. less is more. Somebody less said more. in the Bauhaus. We, we we sometimes tell directors that we like to unscore films as well as Ooh, score them. <laughs> unbreak my heart. <laughs> that's a really great. That's the name of. That's the name of your book. <laughs> unscore. Danny, I'm, I'm unscore my film. I, I think <laughs> it's super interesting that you're a cellist and you guys were forming a band. It's most bands you think guitars, drums, microphones, and I always love it when there's a strings player in a a, a band. Because it, it really makes a different sound. But what type of instruments were you guys, you know, expert level at? Or what were you playing in your band? Because when you get into film music, you kind of have to know a little mm -hmm. bit of everything. Or at least you s sort of evolve into learning a little bit of everything as you take different projects. But 
to to come to the table with different expertise and instruments already in the band that probably played to your benefit a little bit moving into film scoring what are your weapons of choice uh for the both of you and and how did those help you moving into film music um yeah for me it's the strings the cello um is capable of making a huge myriad of sounds uh i can play high or low or with the bow or without the bow of course but like within the bow itself you can do all kinds of things with just the horse hairs like just a couple of them or with all of the distortion quiet no vibrato sinister sounds icy cold sounds all kinds of things and and so cello is my was definitely mm-hmm. uh, to this day it sits right next to me and i'm ready to grab it at all times uh to create whatever sound that's that's my go-to but and when then the we piano oh, sorry. Yeah. oh no no go, i mean i was gonna say what we really the the band excelled at and and you know we would create these soundscapes um and danny would you know we'd be playing cello and also violin and we both had i was a i'm a guitarist originally but i had a guitar with a double neck it was a bass and a guitar and <laughs> there were three of us and we played like three instruments each um but we we both had loop pedals like these you know they did kind of just come out at that point and they were short you know like actually danny's was longer it had like that boomerang thing you could require i think you could layer up to a minute and a half or something yeah. but we would create these but the orchestral- quality would get really bad yeah <laughs> we'd create these orchestral textures live you know and and that was like our we had so much fun doing that and we got very good at it you know we had a drummer who was also a very good piano player and percussion and we all did some singing and and we would just explore these kind of like huge bigger than what we were kind of soundscapes and that really is what translated to our first of all our recording so when we would go into the studio we were you know pretty pretty adept at using pro tools at that point ourselves um just for messing around with it in our home studios um and we would layer all these things you know then we were like oh well we don't have to do it live now we can actually do it recording we can do it much more complicated and you know create bigger and more more um uh, involved kind of symphonic parts and so we would we would do that and then that really is what translated to our film scoring and you know it was that that experience with the recording software and like and using it as a composition tool um you know we would never write stuff down orchestrate things on paper it was just not our thing we want to be visceral and right there in the moment you know and at first it was a lot of you know i'd be running the the computer the, the recording while danny was behind me with his cello okay danny now play a weird second over that harmony and okay now we'll erase that and move this over there and that over there and there was a lot of editing and we were just kind of riff it was almost like um like a improvisational recording um and that's how these first kind of movies got started we were asked by um a friend of mine from from RISD, actually alistair banks griffin to score his first film two gates of sleep and it was just us in my my brooklyn living room um you know you can hear garbage trucks go by and stuff and (laughs) just layering strings and percussion and whatever else we had in the room forever you know and then we would go back through and take stuff out but it was really that that experience of 
recording and then our, our kind of our drive to create these big orchestral textures that, that spilled over into film scoring. And it was, it was an accident. It wasn't something we pursued. Hmm. Um, it was just, you know, Banks uh, had just kind of asked, you guys want to score my film? I feel like you could do it. And we're like, uh, okay. And we had so much what fun. What did you and- think of it? The, the process were you was it intimidating to you Did, were you doing it by the book because there's no there's way. a lot of <laughs> we still technical <laughs> stuff to, to score a, a feature film and i think everyone kind of has that like oh my god what is click what how do you do this <laughs> and the first time is always that you just kind of dive head first and kind of figure it out. But did, did you feel intimidated by that or were you like this is kind of what i want to be doing from now on i found it freeing because I had a friend that was at Berkeley School of Music while I was living in Boston who was taking some film scoring classes. And I, w- I got to sit in and watch a couple of them with the blue line that goes across and, and the, um, the formulas for calculating BPM and click and all this stuff and chords and fitting it in. And I was like, see you later. Like, that's too complicated for me. Like, I, that's, just, <laughs> that's just, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I just, those guys will do films. Those are the film scores of the world and I will appreciate them. Bye. <laughs> but now with the software coming out at the sat that time, Pro Tools allowing us to move and ship like, oh, well, I've got this piece. Maybe this piece will work for this scene I don't, or for this film. There's this old melody I, I came up with around the time of American Beauty. Let's see if this melody will <laughs> squeeze into this scene. Oh my God, it works really nice. It didn't line up on that edit fine but this part did and it's like we started recognizing oh wait a minute that that chord works with that oh wow i didn't i never even knew that and so we started to learn and be like well let's just move that note a little bit does it still sound classical and beautiful yes great we moved it now the scene is done and like we just made a we just made a piece of film music send it to the director director loves it and we come back we're like well we kind of cheated but we use Pro Tools and our little, we're using our, uh, the, 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 the things available to us. And yeah. it's, as long as you know what's still music, like musically acceptable and elegant and beautiful and textural, I feel like sometimes that gets a little lost in, in film scoring. Like yeah. It's just like, I don't, you know, yeah. fit it in. And, and it's, we didn't it's use just, a click for, I mean, uh, at least like two or three years into our career. And then we, there was some, you know, we started working with orchestras and we were like, Oh, fuck, what do we do? <laughs> this is a total nightmare. <laughs> if, to give you yeah. a good example of kind of our, the way we started scoring films and, and kind of how we still work sometimes now, but like enemy, for instance, was, um, a super fun project but we we went into it we had a budget for orchestra we had never worked with an orchestra mm-hmm. before i mean we hadn't even considered that we might work with an orchestra in our whole lives before and we we're like oh okay we're gonna do an orchestra <laughs> and we ended up writing a bunch of music um very early in the process the edit wasn't even finished um and i think we had there were two pieces that we had sent or two or three pieces we had sent to denis and and he, he was, oh i love him i love him we're like, okay, let's go record them. And this was like really early in the process. And so we went and we recorded the whole orchestra, but in pieces, like basses, cellos, violins. Yeah, but yeah, like all different. So we had all these stems of all the different sections. Um, And luckily we had written all the pieces in the same key, the key of D, (laughs) D minor. (laughs) But then we came back to the studio and we're like, and we're like, okay, well, now, now we have to score the film. We've already recorded the orchestra. 
<laughs> so we did it all backwards, and so but it was really fun because then we took it in and kind of used it as this module modular orchestra uh, orchestra, and then recorded Danny strings on top and other percussion stuff, and brought people in later. But it was that kind of like non-traditional process that uh, and that we still try to incorporate today you know sometimes now we're a little smarter with them some things and we'll do if we have an orchestra we'll usually do it towards the end <laughs> but if we can we'll do it early so that we can keep playing with it afterwards because we like that you know and and having that freedom and and that sense of improvisation another thing we'd always do is every time we do an orchestra we'd leave an extra like hour for improvisation sessions and do like Danny would like, um, you know, just pointing at people for different notes and, and getting these amazing sounds and stuff just to put in our library. Um, that's brilliant. I haven't really heard of that. We shouldn't tell anybody you're about an, that. You're anticipating, <laughs> yeah, <tell> no, <laughs> you're anticipating the way that films almost evolved into being scored. I mean, it's, in some ways, your experience as strange as it might have felt, how, what are we doing? It's so contemporary, which yeah. is vibey and imp some improvisation and not cuey. Right. Um, and I dig that. I mean, and it's also, it's hard not to also acknowledge how creative it is. It just sounds so wonderfully creative to approach scores that way. Yeah. While we're I mean, still on the subject of the orchestra, I, I do want to ask you, though, just as coming from the band world of things and hearing an orchestra play your music for the first time, what was that like for you? Because you're used to playing your own music, but you're, you're writing something down and then watching it come alive like that. Was, was that. Do you remember that first time you heard that? Oh, yeah. Magic. Magic. Where? That was the enemy. Was in Brooklyn. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time it was like the, mel the enemy had this sort of sinister, sort of very sort of Russian melody going on. And I remember the first time I had recorded it just with our violin, maybe like four or five violins on top of each other. Just, and it, there's a sort of phase is a phasing sound that isn't very <laughs> good. When I first heard like the 12 first violinists play in perfect tune like this, yeah, this, this, yeah i was i was i had, and i played in many orchestras growing up and i know that sound but i had sort of been in a band for i don't know how many i had not i'd maybe seen the you know the symphony in new york play but that's different and when you're in the room and i saw them interpret the melody and get it right and we we decided exactly how much vibrato to use and exactly what the bow should be and it came together and then we tried it with mutes on it and that was magic. I it couldn't because because you just been hearing it your own way, mm. and then suddenly it's it's a different soundscape, and mm. then and you're just like, oh my god, we're gonna be okay. And I, I knew because like <laughs> I was like, it, I I felt like that because it was like that melody. It's good melody. We think it's a good melody. It's fine, but it felt like it was being interpreted by musicians, and 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 if, therefore it kind of made it real and it, and elegant and professional i don't know how to explain it yeah. but professional it was like, is oh. good. <laughs> professional <laughs> yeah do you play on your own yeah. scores do you ever step in not not for the orchestra well sometimes for those improv sessions we did i took my cello out and i would make them copy little things that i was doing and and stuff but generally i i found that to be a little bit like 
oh, the guy's taking out his chest. So good. No, I was like, <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean? I was like, I don't want to tell them even that I play strings. You're modest, um, man. I've been on dates where the composer <laughs> gets so frustrated that he either goes to the piano or he takes his alto out and goes oh, out onto the stage and says, man, you're missing, you know, and everybody's like, wow, dude. Oh, we, no. no, with it, interpretive dance and serious <laughs> metaphors, you can do it. Uh, we, yeah, nice. Everything comes from metaphors for us. Uh, we use things like icy, glassy, and like, and you have to know how to talk to string players too. They're all different. The violins are different than the violas, and the violas are different than the cellos, and the cellos are different than the double bass. And they all have different personalities, and, there's a, and you have to know how to talk to them. And you have, like, violinists don't want too many instructions. Just give them one or two, and that's all they need. <laughs> they're very proud, and they're very good at what they do. You know, so if you say, guys, I need this to be quiet, glassy, um, Russian, Siberian uh, sound, just with a few horsehairs, and they're like, got it. <laughs> and, you're, and you're like okay hit it and then we record and then it's it's like pretty much there and you're just like thank you and but you have to know how to lead them like that guy's know? speaking and my language He's i love that yeah. i love that first yeah. of all it's very directorial you know the great directors don't go to the great actors and say let me spend half an hour telling you what i see they do you know icy glassy yeah. little russian let's roll That's film it. and and so you're yeah. Are you guys going to be directing movies soon and hiring your own <laughs> composers? Who knows, maybe. <laughs> and you never know with, with all of we that. We talk about this all the time. <laughs> I, I, you know, because now I, we didn't think of ourselves as film buffs or film composer buffs at all. But like now it's like we receive movies that we have to consider and we watch them with this critical thing. And it's turned <laughs> into like, I remember it started out like, guys we shot this film and um it's got one or two decent actors but you should see the camera we used and the <laughs> landscape and it would be like oh cool that's gonna have good musical uh implications <laughs> landscape great but then it was like what is this movie about even like Ooh. what is going on and we're like oh who cares it must be a good movie like because it's being made it got greenlit so <laughs> and then it slowly we we're like there's a lot of terrible films. <laughs> I think you should be so, freelancing for the I mean, Hollywood Reporter certain, right now as a yeah, critic. This it's is actually it's, it's it's such a huge here. area of, uh, I, I will not mention the series, but I watched two episodes of a big, expensive series last night. We've all had this experience. Yeah. And you think, are they on crack over at that studio? Who oh, yeah. Who is spending yeah. that kind of dough for this kind of contrived, old-fashioned, badly shot, badly acted you know, or is it me? But uh, what's really interesting about the way you put it is how do you politely come back to a director and either you have to either pass like, wow, man, I, you don't understand. I love this movie. I just, you know, I have to rearrange my yeah, socks. Super for the next slammed year. right now. Yeah. It's, <laughs> or the pipeline uh, <laughs> is so full right now. I just can't. Or if you yeah. get hired. Uh, but as you know, the great composers are filmmakers. They and the great directors want to hear you say, I mean, Ang Lee and Ridley Scott, they would always turn to their composers and say, I don't know, man, this isn't working. And it's not just the music. Is there, and I would see the great composers, see Hans, see Michael Dana say, I think the scene's long. Hmm. 
And yeah. if you have that kind of trust with your director, I mean, I hope that you're brought into the circle that way. Have you been, have you ever affected the actual edit of a scene to make the music work? Um, I think so. I, I can't remember any yes. specific times, but we, we give that feedback all the time. I mean, we're pretty, mm-hmm. uh, not, not like in a blunt way, but like when we're asked, usually we'll just give them our honest opinion. I mean, we did it like, you know, we're starting a new film, um, soon and, and we watched the first cut and, and we let them know what we thought about it. I mean, and, and I think that they t- definitely directors who've worked with us before will, will take our, um, our advice. You know, I don't know how. I love that. Yeah, but you listen, to, but Lissander, you listen to what, how we discuss movies now versus 10 years ago. Yeah. We were yeah. like, oh, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even know what kind of movie this is. Right? It seems to be, and, and, I, and I'll be, I'll be like, I have no idea what, like this what this storyline is or but now i'm 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 pretending to be like some director you know (laughs) but then i'm but i really have i've calmed down and Sondra might disagree but because i was like oh this movie just doesn't have you know it just doesn't have a good storyline and this one but i don't i don't care about that character and then i'll be like i've seen then films they they've started out badly and then they've ended up really great yeah. Uh, this amazing things that can happen during the edit and having doing those screenings and things we've seen stuff that we're like oh man like i love most of this movie but these few scenes are just cringeworthy i don't even want to sit in the pre in the in the premiere for it and then that's me personally and then and then be like i sat in the premiere and be like oh it actually pretty good oh they took that scene out oh great <laughs> like you know and so and I hate to I, say I, it, I but sometimes the composer's contribution can fix, is yeah. something that you think this movie just sucks. This is horrible without, you know, and it's temp music and it's no right sound yeah. effects. And they mm-hmm. do both the kind of polish and edit and tweaking, but then suddenly a great composer comes in and whew, did this like evolve overnight? Yeah. It just yeah. feels com- <laughs> more complete. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, this first half of our episode blew right by. You guys are great. I'm I'm having a blast. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we still have to talk about Ozark. You guys have a couple of documentaries on your uh, upcoming list that we want to ask you about a little bit. I don't know how much you can dive into, but uh, much more with Sonder and Danny. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mash Raider here. If you like Score the Podcast, you're going to want to check out More Score, our new Patreon show for Score superfans. What's Patreon? Well, it's a website and an app that lets fans crowdfund the type of extra content you want. And now, More Score has it all on video. You can listen or watch right on the Patreon app. More Score already has the life stories of people you know, like Kenny and Robert from Score the Podcast, as well as bonus features, hangouts, and yes, original interviews, like Carlos Rafael Rivera from The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Did you know he had to throw out his score and start fresh? More Score gives you insight into the film score world, and it's a beautiful addition to those of you who just can't wait for another episode of Score the Podcast. Best of all, More Score is year-round. No more off-season. Go to patreon.com slash morescore or download the Patreon app and search More Score. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, this is Terrence Blanchett and you're listening to Score the Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. So much fun in the first half of the episode, but we haven't even really gotten into the meat of uh, Ozark. Obviously, season four is coming at some point. We're getting teased online. There's a bunch of fake release dates out there. Is there anything you guys can tell us about when it's coming? Are you? Is there anything that you can share first off about that? <laughs> I have no idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would assume deniability. I would it's assume, the final season, though, right? We're coming up on final the final season, season, and it'll be, I think, thirteen or fourteen episodes. Um, and I hope I can say that. I'm pretty sure I can. And um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it'll come out out around the fall. I think that's when they all have kind of dropped. Like, that's a September. lot. Thirteen or fourteen episodes. That's thirteen or fourteen one-hour movies. Yeah. Yeah, That'll so busy. let's let's talk a little bit about Ozark. Um, you guys worked with Jason Bateman on a couple of different projects. I think he was, I don't know if he was necessarily a producer or a director at the time, just an actor in, in uh, The Gift. And was there something before that as well? Um, I don't he saw the so. one I love. Remember? It's right. time to tell that story. Right. Okay. So, yeah, we had ori- originally met him through Charlie McDowell, who directed the one i love which we scored very early in our career and hmm. uh, jason saw that <clears throat> um and then asked charlie i love the music who are those guys um and then i think we met him briefly at a premiere in new york but but just like in passing we we're like oh, hi <laughs> and then uh that's exactly what did, happened <laughs> <laughs> and then hi. we did the like a year or two later, maybe two years later, we did the gift, and and at that premiere afterwards, we we kind of got to meet him more thoroughly and and talk to him for a little while. And he at that that night, he was like, "Guys, I got I got the best project for you. I'm I'm working on this series, and I think it's going to be right up your alley." And this was <laughs> this probably two years before he even they even started shooting. Or a year, maybe I don't know. Um, so Jason anyways, Bateman directed or produced at that point, or were you just no? Just he was just Hollywood acting. Actor? He was just yeah. acting. I think he had directed a few mov- movies. Actually, he'd done The Family Fang, which I, I didn't see, uh, hmm. and I think he did Bad Words. He'd done a few a few films, smaller films, indie films, and um, and then he he when we met with him initially about Ozark, he knew our music like backwards and forwards i mean he had really listened to our stuff and he's so well versed in music and it was just like a a pretty amazing experience to talk to him that first time i'm more and more blown away by him because we had arrested development come out and and Mm. he's he's almost considered this comedy guy kind of smart ass comedy guy but the evolution of what jason bateman has become i mean with uh with the outsider with ozark he yeah. is he's already highly rated but in my opinion he's a little underrated still for the range that he has and, and, and along with directing and all of this stuff 
the fact that he had that, I mean, he was ready to sell this. He, he, you guys were going to be the composers of this in his mind, it seems like. Yeah, there the was never any prepared. other. Yeah, there was never any other. You uh, didn't audition. He didn't like what would an Ozark theme sound. That's just great. <laughs> so when you first yeah, met, on, when it got real, you, you agreed to do the project. What kind of discussions do you have? Because this is coming off of Breaking Bad hype. This was definitely the, the show that fed my my missing piece in my my soul after breaking bad was like what am i gonna watch now there's nothing and this show came out and it and it filled that void but are you taking any inspiration from shows like breaking bad are you like what what where where do you guys begin when you're trying to develop the sound for ozark because it's it's dark but then it's also like there are times when it's a a family kind of smart ass jason bateman what you'd expect from him, but then it gets really dark. So there's a yeah. lot of different types of uh, variety that you need in, in terms of the music. Well, I personally didn't watch Break, Breaking Bad. I think I watched a few episodes in the beginning. Not that I didn't like it, but I just didn't, I didn't go there. I didn't, I didn't hmm. go and get it sucked into the whirlwind. So I wasn't personally um, inspired by that. I think that, I mean, we had some great creative conversations before um, talking about the the landscape and the the tone of the show very early. So, was, <clears throat> you know, Jason was really good about sending us mood boards and we even started getting dailies when they started filming and we wanted to know the colors and what, what, what did this world look like? You know, like this kind of, you know, we've all seen thrillers that are kind of anxiety driven thrillers, but, but what, you know, what was this, what was particular about this world? And it was really this kind of like, you know, there's this kind of juxtaposition of, kind of white trashy like like um you know like you know what whatever america like boats engines loud noises rusty <laughs> metal buckets yeah. whatever hubcaps um and then mixed with this, this kind of majesty of the of the lake and the beautiful and the trees and the and the you know and then the darkness of it of course um and that was really inspiring we actually went out and started recording like junk kind of sounds not that we wanted the the score to revolve around there or be kind of we we wanted to be careful not to be kind of uh, trite about that but like we wanted to have that kind of like texture of like that those those metal and plastic and glass sounds as the the kind of basis for the the percussive part of the score um and then it, it really just evolved very early and we started very early. We, again, it was a, our first TV show. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we had done the OA, but that was a different process. Um, and this wasn't a weekly releasing show either. This, this comes out in a lump. So yeah, that, that everything's happening at once too. It seems like, yeah, I mean, I think we had a week to, or like two weeks to do each episode, but we had gotten started pretty early and gotten started with themes and stuff. Um, you said a word that I haven't heard before, mood board. Can you tell us what what I, that I, is? I don't and, I think that's what they call it. It's like the yeah. um, it's like the before they even start shooting or to, to sell the to pitch the film, they'll they'll put together kind of like stills from other films that are inspiring the aesthetic of the film. We always ask mm. for that on almost every project we do because it it's it's really helpful for us. And does that help you design music at all? Just like, get, does that give you some ideas? Just seeing colors and and kind of the vision. Definitely, um, it's it's more in that early stage. It's more of like because we don't 
usually we don't write music from like script level. Um, we need to see pictures, but those kind of things start to just like sure. sit in our minds as we're doing other things. Maybe we're, we're obviously working on other projects and things come out on those other projects. We're like, oh, well, that might be great for this next one. Well, you're visual too. Tell me how you got Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, and how I missed the fact that I was next to greatness. And when I was on, you know, kind of vaguely responsible for searchlight movies and ah. didn't really tune in because <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, I looked at the credits and went, what? I was right there. <laughs> that was our first, I mean, that's what really uh, kind of fast tracked our, at that point, that's what made us keep doing film. I mean, how'd you get the gig? We, well, we did Two Gates of Sleep was our first film, and that was Alistair Banks Griffin, who, and that was right. produced by Borderline. So it was produced by uh, Sean and Antonio and, and Josh. Yep. Um, and then Sean, right after that, shot uh, Martha, Martha, Marcy, me, and Marlene, and asked us to score that. So we kind of just, you know, we, we rode along with that group. And um, it was a kind of an interesting time because I feel like it was this, this resurgence of indie film and especially New York indie film. Um, and they were really at the forefront then, the borderline guys, and doing really amazing stuff. And <clears throat> I think there was, in indie film, there was a fear of music. Um, generally as because that. it was a reaction to hollywood and the these big scores and these big kind of subversive scores that are making you forcing you into kind of a feeling and and these directors were you know anti that in a way but they wanted to bring music back into these films in a in a way that didn't do that um so we kind of you know came into that project and it was really interesting because it was like we would write I mean, we wrote so much music for that film. I, we have it all still, and and, and <laughs> we'd end up taking everything out. This is a great, like, with the cello, the layering stuff, we would layer Danny, the cellos, violins, stuff, like, probably like 50 of them, and then the one, the fill, the score, the cue that went into the film in the end was one cello. <laughs> one of, of those cellos. <laughs> Which is fine. More. We like that. Like, we like that process. But, um, yeah, that's how it came about. And then, It's a great movie and a great score, and also... Yeah sort of launched the career of the lead actress right that was yeah really big for elizabeth olsen and yeah in some ways watching handmaid's tale i had moments of martha marcy may marlene vibiness you guys sure, yeah. were right right in, on in it. those in that early time uh how important was the fact that you guys are a duo how, like did you lean on each other because do you think you would have been able to do this solo either sonder or danny like could you have gone into film music and done this by yourself or did you really lean on the fact that you had each other in these moments uh, i think 100 percent. i mean i think you agree sonder yeah i mean i, I there's no way yeah i i i, I there's just no way it, it, we still are able to move so quickly because we're partners and understand music in the same way basically and when we come to a red light on our own you can turn to the other guy and ask for help and and or to finish something off or i'm stuck or is this any good i don't know and yes it's awesome and like oh okay i okay, can okay, carry on <laughs> I, whereas the real me on my own probably procrastinate a whole week before i go back to that queue <laughs> <laughs> you know and be like i don't know if i like it and i don't even want to go check it out and see if i like it i'll just wait a few days 
by this is no time and just go to sauna and ask and in, and or maybe he puts layers some instruments down uh, on top of the piece that I'm writing, and then and then we decipher it. And but there's no time for for roadblocks, you know. Yeah. Uh, Can I ask about the process? I'm curious. First of all, we're mm -hmm. looking at you today, and I don't know literally what cities you're both in. <laughs> Are you both still in New York? No, we're both in L.A. now, actually. Okay. See, it was a trick question, and you got the answer right. So you've moved here, and we just came out of a year where we weren't physically together. Did you write by Zoom for the past year? Did you? Are you back to being next to each other? Are you? Do you have a system? Are you in your each other's bubble? Yeah, <laughs> we are. I mean, now we are. But we we so we. There was a certain point in our, we used to sit in the same room and write music together and, you know, up to a certain point when we got busy enough that then we needed another computer, another room, start splitting up projects and then passing them back and forth. And then it started to become more of this kind of, we would each write separately and then come mm. together, talk about it. The other one would take off and work on it a little bit or, and then the, the kind of, um, you know, we would end up actually doing a lot of this video chat, whatever, throughout the day when we ended up... There was a point in New York where Danny was working from home and I was working from a studio. And so we were apart, in a way. And then Danny moved to L.A. before I did. Um, and for was that about traumatic? Uh, no, I was glad to get rid of him, honestly. Good. <laughs> no. Right it was good. I was supposed to go right after, and I was like... I don't know what happened, but I, I got cold feet real fast. I was like, I, I'm going to wait a couple of years. Um, but we got really used to doing this whole Zoom. I mean, it was yeah. Skype. Um, and it, it was, you know, we do everything already. All of our sessions are on the internet on a server and they sure. just pass back and forth. And we really, we liken the process to um, building a sculpture. And, and if you start you know, with a block of wood or stone or whatever, one guy chisels out a basic form and passes it to the next guy and he shapes it a little more, maybe change it, maybe adds some stuff back or whatever, you know, and we just keep passing it back and forth and, and you know, with with talk in between, but most of it is just work and doing it. But when you play for a director, you know, there's so much, I haven't thought of this until this moment that, so many composers say the body language of the director in the room when you're hitting play and you're at the console and you're the, it's up on the screen in your studio or in his studio, hit play, you play it, and you can feel him either go, you know, his shoulders go up <laughs> or he just looks at you and it's a high five and, yeah. man, you nailed it and this is That's great, let's go on. Do you, What happens on Zoom? you got to watch a face. Can you... Have that experience, or is that lost forever? You can't. No, that's lost. That's lost completely on Zoom. And actually, that's what I felt the most of this past year was not being able to have those sessions. Because we always do that. You know, even when we were living in different cities, one of us would fly to the city that the director was in, or they would come to us, and we would all sit together in a room and talk about the music. And that happened regularly. And then that really that was a real challenge and and that becomes like then you're relying on um communication uh with email and and voice so for instance the white tiger um was ramin who's 
an amazing director and but also an amazing communicator. I mean, he was able to communicate what he was feeling very clearly to us, even though it was complicated and sometimes we didn't get it probably because we weren't in the same room. But I mean, we've also worked with directors that are not so good at that and it makes it so hard, so hard. So it's kind of a, but you should, you already articulated in some ways, what you said was so wonderfully poetic about icy glassy you know do you want it more that's what you look for a director to tell you if you could just you know in a few words because yeah. obviously the directors that are most difficult say i don't know man it's too sad and you think what the fuck's what melancholy sad or kind of yeah existentially sad or you know <laughs> give me a little give me something here you've actually made me realize also now we, I used to have a rule, you know, I was here at Fox making movies for 20 years and the biggest problems had when the director and the composer were on different continents and it happened a lot. Directors in LA, composer lives in London and we'd have the primitive version of what we're doing now. It always ran into problems because they weren't in the same room and the director yeah. would get off, we'd get off some bad video hookup and the director looked at me and said i don't think this is gonna work man he mm -hmm. doesn't understand i'd call the composer and say you gotta fly to la now this gig's up mm -hmm. for grabs you gotta and now i don't know if you get that benefit i mean you're lucky if you're working with directors that that get it yeah yeah well it's gotta come back <laughs> on the upcoming back. projects you think you'll be in the same room yeah. with directors Definitely. I mean, Danny and I are yeah. both back now, and we'll, we'll make sure that that happens. Are you hanging with Wolfgang Puck? <laughs> we never got to yeah, meet Wolfgang Puck. A couple, <laughs> couple of documentaries you guys have coming up, Jacques Cousteau and Wolfgang Puck, who are great friends in real life, <laughs> of course. Uh, no, how do you, when, when someone approaches you for a documentary, is it something that you guys are really passionate about? Do you, were you captivated by some pictures like how do you say yes to a documentary like that when when you're really well in demand right now with a lot of big projects yeah it's well Cousteau is an easy one that's you've got your underwater endless possibilities musically the the, the awe of nature and the world and trying to save it and you've got then this this him as a character which is uh, he's a, an extraordinary fellow and there's all kinds of musical opportunities with that and then the relevance to you know global warming and where we're at now and that how it resonates with that and then the directors and the, the post team were like we love you guys you can pretty much do whatever you want <laughs> and we we're like okay we'll do it <laughs> That was a really You're fun like, Can experience. you sign something that says what you just said, please? <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and you then, can sample, you know, sample bubble sounds. And well, also, I know that there's okay. a rumor that Wolfgang said you can eat at Spago for free <laughs> for the rest of your life. So <laughs> Really? You heard that? I'm going tonight. I bet it's open again. <laughs> well, one thing we didn't touch on with you guys, and as we uh, get close to wrapping up here, is the, the fact of the duo again. But when you sit down to work on a project... Do you guys go at it together 100% the whole time? Or do you say, hey, why don't you take the B part? I'll take this part and we'll come back to the table and see what we have. Because 
that's a unique process. Most composers are by themselves and they get to figure this out in their head and, and work it out. But you have the ability to work off of each other. But is that a, is that a pro or a con or both? It's a pro. And I think what happens is one of us naturally gravitates towards a film or whatever. And it's like somehow like maybe Sander will be leading it just, just ever so slightly and like work on those first five. He's like, I did five cues already. I want you to nice. check him out. And I'll be like, I haven't even opened up the movie yet. And he'll be like, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to work on it. I had some ideas and I'm like, great. And, and then, then I'll go in and have a look. And already he's done five more by the time I look at the five. So he's sort of leading it. And I'm like, wow, this is working great. I put some strings on this. I replaced some, a couple of things. And then we're like, wow, this is sounding really good. I'm loving it. You loving it. This is great. And that's basically how we do it. Um, or maybe me that's like starting with, with something. And then he's like, and, and maybe someone will be like, well, these, I like these. And actually I'm going to go to the end of the film or something. And I have some ideas that I want to start there. And then, and then we'll do all that. So it's, it's never though. Yeah. It's very like collaborative and like very sort of like sectiony. Do you know what I mean? Like you handle all that, but it's not like we sit down and, and say you handle that. And I handle that. It's more like, just see where it goes. It's how, really how wonderful. And also very appropriate to this moment in music and film music. And I bet secretly a lot of composers are really envious because they're, having these miserable <laughs> lives in dark rooms by themselves with well it is with it's an it underpaid really, assistant it could be really straining you know like watching a film over and over again i mean it's it's hard it's really fucking hard and and listening to the same music over and over again and you need i mean for me it's so helpful to just be like you know what i'm totally burned out Danny. <laughs> you gotta you gotta take a look at this you know like i i don't even, i don't even like the film the music i don't like anything about it anymore and I hate myself, and I'm going to go take a nap, and you're going to take over. Yeah. <laughs> and it ha it that happens it. all the time. So the question, I think the remaining question is, when can all of our listeners see Priest Bird live? <laughs> That's going to be We were our... just talking about that. <laughs> I, I think you now have such a platform, because can you imagine the publicity and the press opportunities from yeah. the composers and, and of... In between songs, you could do a little Ozark montage. Is it on the docket? I put a Are solo we have the record blue line out. going across characters. Right. I don't want to do it. I don't want to. Be, no, 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 no. Sandra, when did you find time to do a solo record in between I mean, movies? I've, yeah, I, over the past like seven years, I had been recording songs. Um, yeah, and I, re I released the album in September last year. But um, priest, priest bird was priest bird, kind of I the mean, destination. No, 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 no. For those songs, or just in general, and. More important, did the band Tarantula ever make any noise anyway, or should they just... <laughs> no, the Tarantulas never, never, they, they, they were a Florida bar band. <laughs> Terrible. Write them a nasty letter. Oh, Tell God. them they just... I'd love what, to check in, check in and kind see where of they're lucky. at. <laughs> well, do you guys, this, been, this has been fun, and we probably Super creative, again, digging it. Especially with two guests, there's so much to talk about, and, and you guys are a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. There's... Again, you guys have the Wolfgang Puck documentary coming up on the board, uh, Jacques Cousteau documentary, Ozark season four. If you haven't seen The Outsider, go watch it. I watched White Tiger last night, by the way, and it was one of the best experiences of watching a movie I've had in years. It's Love such a movie. good movie, and the music is fantastic. 
Sonder Urians, Danny Bensey, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. Uh, a reminder to our listeners, you can follow us. There's a number of ways. Instagram, Score Movie, uh, Twitter's at Score the Podcast, Facebook, Score a Film Music Documentary. And don't forget to subscribe to More Score on Patreon. Tons of exclusive content. The only place you can get it if you can't get enough of Score the Podcast. And uh, also stick around after the show today. We're going to play you a little clip from Spitfire Audio so you can hear how to elevate your music with some of the different packages and sounds that they offer. That is a lot to say. Robert, take it away. I'm just going to say, Julia Garner, if you're listening, uh, we're watching for you. And um, you make... You make those are complete for many of us. But uh, Danny and Sonder, I always learn from composers, but today was really super deep oh, just thanks. to hear your approach. I dug it, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, SCORE listeners. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, SCORE listeners. What a great episode, wasn't it? I mean... Uh, I love that. Rocked out. We're grateful for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the estate of Bernard Herrmann, great composer, to build sample libraries that elevate your music. You're about to hear a musical demo of what that sounds like. And Kenny's going to tell you the incredible deal that Three, you will two, get. Three, two, one. I lost my script. Here it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Do you read a script? Are you it's telling me you don't have this memorized? Man, I walk around the back of my house I don't know what happened here. I have to my do thing got cut off here. L- let me just tell you right now. I don't need a script. 25% off your first porter. We're going to go again. Ready? Three, two, one. No, no. I, make me suffer. Make me suffer. Three, two, one. We're giving you a deal that you can't believe. And I need wow. a glass of water. 25% off your first order of Spitfire products by using the promo code SCORE2021. And as we teased at the beginning of the show here, we're going to play you a clip now from the Oliver Arnold's Stratus package, where these crazy sounds are triggered by what you play. Check it out.
Again, the promo code is SCORE2021. Use it in the cart at checkout at SpitfireAudio.com. Save 25% off your first order of Spitfire products. And it also lets them know we sent you because we're hooking it up here. You're our, uh, our, it's exclusive to you, Wake up. favorite listeners. Wake up! <laughs> 